0: Welcome to
1: All Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian,
0: Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair, and me, Kim Conklin, Windsor-based writer and filmmaker. Our featured guests this week are Elaine Weeks and Chris Edwards. Elaine has a B.A. in English from the University of Windsor, plus two years of postgraduate studies in visual arts. She's a community leader with over 30 years experience in advertising, public relations, event planning, publishing, writing, editing, photography, conservation and heritage preservation. She's written a novel called Time Trespasser and is working on a sequel. Chris Edwards holds a Master of Arts in Communication Studies degree from the University of Windsor and has been an instructor at the University of Windsor, St. Clair College and Elder College. He's a publisher, photographer, digital design guru, educator and world traveler. Chris has a long career in marketing and advertising and has managed numerous traditional and new media projects. Together with Walkerville Publishing, they have produced several best-selling books on Windsor and this region's rich visual heritage. Their latest book together is Brewed in Windsor, A Tasty History. Welcome, Elaine and Chris. Thank you so much. (laughs) Elaine, let's start with you. What is your founding writing experience? How did you get started in writing?
2: Do we have to go back to kindergarten or what are you thinking you
0: can go back as far as you like
2: (laughs) well always enjoyed reading first of all and so if you're a reader you tend to be a writer and i was a voracious reader during uh, elementary school and always enjoyed english class and um you know creating stories etc and uh studied english in university Um, In terms of actually writing a book, we did mostly publications, uh, periodicals, prior to attempting an actual book. And uh, people might know or remember us for the Walkerville Times, which um, celebrated when um, Walkerville's past and present, which started in 1999. We did 61 issues of that. So, um, I mean, it was just a segue into doing local history books for me and Chris. After that point, but I do enjoy writing fiction as well. And um, my, you know, my attempt was pretty. I don't know. It was it was different. Obviously, very different than writing nonfiction. And I feel like, um, I what I, but it was good for me because the subject I I chose to write about, uh, and I did a time travel novel, involved a lot of history. So it was great to be able to do the research and incorporate. The, the real history, the actual events as they were occurring in the in 1830s, 1850s, and then in the 20,
1: 2012, so. And Chris, how did you find yourself in this publishing niche?
3: I think if we get my fingers right, see, where is it? Come on, <laughs> over here. That's right. oh, 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 see this guy up here? That is an original Apple Mac. I, uh, I was when I graduated from the university I published my thesis doing we were one of the first students to use computers to do uh to publish a thesis in 1985 and it was very painful and then I saw the Mac and I thought wow that's a really great way to publish and we bought our Mac and we got into what was called desktop publishing right away we were like one of the first companies in the world to do that And we've been in digital publishing in one form or another ever since. And we uh, struggled through all of the uh, trials and tribulations of publishing using computers. And one thing just led to another. It wasn't very well planned because when I graduated, I had no uh, idea we were gonna go into the publishing business. That was not the plan. And uh, we've been doing that now for, how many years is that? 35 years. It's
2: I'll incredible
3: because we're
1: only 49, yep. <laughs> 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 So what was your first book?
3: The first book that we published or that I ever published?
1: The first, well, let's answer both ways. What was the first book that you published and what was the first book that you published together as Walker Build Publishing?
3: I think the first book we did was the Best of the Times Magazine. So we took all our uh, articles from... I guess at that point it was about five years with the writing on local history. And we produced a, uh, a best of the stories from the, uh, the Times Magazine, Walkerville Times. And that was the first book that we had done for ourselves. But before that, the first book that I was ever, uh, we were ever commissioned to do was uh, when we had a company in Windsor in 1980, well, I'm gonna struggle with the dates, but um, around 88. Okay. And uh, Dr. Ron Ianni was the president of the university and he tasked us with publishing a book on, uh, paralegal. Their paralegals were just becoming, uh, legal, I guess. <laughs> Can you say that? <laughs> well, the paralegal industry was becoming official and they wanted to put a book together on it. And Ron uh, asked me to do a book and we had to figure out how to do it because there really wasn't a manual at that time on how to produce books using, uh, these primitive Macs up here, I guess it's over here, and using software called PageMaker and uh, putting a book together. So that was the really the first inkling that we had that we might get into book publishing.
0: Let's talk a little bit about how you work together. Um, do you each have a specialty when you produce books together? Uh, who takes care of what? Elaine, you want to start with that one?
2: Well, I we do a lot of um, common tasks I guess we we're both good at research and writing and and uh editing etc uh Chris is um generally the one well he does all the le- design and layout and I tell him I don't like that or move that and then he you know it's it's always a bit of a, a an interesting um teamwork process in that regard and um you know it's just it, you know the names of the books i kind of come from me most of the time but then sometimes we'll come up with the name together or we fine-tune it together and the ideas for the books too are stem from both of us one of us might have an idea there was a book we did way back after our first book it was called Windsor then a bit um a bit uh sorry a pictorial essay of Windsor Ontario's glorious past and that was essentially a a catalogue of images that Chris had put together because people were contacting us to get uh, copies of um, local historic pictures blown up so they could hang them in their offices etc and then I said well you know you got this little catalogue that might make a cool book so he thought about it and it just morphed into a book from a small we have the original one it's only about that big and became you know an eight by eight book and it's, uh, it's still available through Amazon, actually. It's quite funny to think about that because we don't have any print versions yet. But uh, so that kind of thing is um, that's that's a kind of a cool example of how we'll do, one of us will do something and then the other one will real look at it and think, hey, there's another possibility or another uh, direction we can go with that.
0: Chris, do you have anything to add to that?
3: I think you can break down the book publishing business into three parts. You, you have the first part, which is the author phase. So the writing, the research, as Elaine has alluded to, and uh, particularly the editing and to make sure, you know, from a reader's perspective versus a writer's perspective is always a challenge because writer always knows what they mean, but a reader may not. So how do we uh, juggle that balance? So uh, Elaine spends a lot of time in the uh the writing and the editing and the research phase, as do I, and then when we move more into the publishing phase, which is the second phase, I, I tend to do more of the, the heavy lifting on the design and layout, but Elaine will take the proofs and mark them up, and uh, it's a more of a traditional way at that point, to the back and forth, and we try to engage uh, outside sources as well. And then the third phase, which is always the big challenge for authors and publishers, is the marketing phase. How do we sell these things now that we've produced them? That's where most people really get stuck. So uh, when we're out doing an event, Elaine will be uh, in charge of the hustle. Like we call it, you know, the hustle of the books, the, uh, the meeting of the public. The uh, you know, here's uh, reasons why you need to take this home and give us money. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite a challenge. And so she's she's definitely uh, up in front on that. And uh, really, none of the phases are less important than the other. But you know, if you ultimately, if you can't sell your product, it's going to really impact your ability going forward to do more projects. So we've been very fortunate that we've been able to balance these three parts and find our niches without uh, killing one another. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Chris and Elaine what is it about this region that inspires you to keep producing these aesthetically visually stunning and uh, fascinating content-wise books about our heritage
2: Hmm. thank you for that lovely (laughs) description (laughs) this this area is incredibly rich with a, a diverse amount of history and it just it's never ending I mean We've got uh, the War of 1812 history, which most people know about. Then we have the auto heritage because Henry Ford came over in 1904 and started up Ford Canada right here in Walkerville, you know, Windsor. And then we have the, um, uh, we have black history as well because Windsor was a main entry point for um, enslaved people crossing into the promised land because of our southern location so that is a huge element of our uh, an interesting element of our past as well and then we have the, the very fact that we're on a border with the U.S. has created a lot of interesting unique types of um, history that you wouldn't necessarily find in other parts of Canada perhaps but um, yeah I mean we can go to another not only to another state, but another country, just by crossing a one mile river. And that in itself is is quite remarkable. Plus, we're south of the US here, which is crazy to think about. And um, during Prohibition Days, for example, we had a wild history here in, in Windsor and area because of the fact that uh Ontario was allowed to we were allowed to create to drink we weren't supposed to drink but of course people did but we were allowed to to um produce alcohol intoxicating alcohol and export so in the U.S. they weren't allowed to they weren't allowed to drink or make it and but they were very thirsty so there were ways for our um Distillers, etc., to get the product across, and so again, that was a huge part of this area's past. So, um, and then we just had that—I uh, guess you could call it—the oral history of all the people that have lived here that have been through so much. World War II. We had when we first started doing the Walkville Times, we always did a a, a war a war you know remember your past um, l- lest we forget section for November, and. When we started in 1999, there were still World War One vets alive, so we were able to capture maybe not their memories necessarily because it depended on their you know how how um, able they were to share that, but at least with their childrens or we would get memories sent given to us in the forms of letters, etc. But then the World War II vets again we had access to them, and now most of them are are gone as well, so. It was really great to be able to capture those important moments in time. So a lot of that was oral history and um I mean we're we're a, we're like sin city here too. So we have a lot of amazing stories about people um growing up and just wanting to you know everybody wants to talk about where they had their first drink over here and partied and um you know there's just all kinds of stuff associated with that. So
0: Chris, tell us about your latest release brewed in Windsor, what we're talking about, the the rum running. We are, of course, famous for our distilleries here in Windsor uh, and the rum running heritage. So what made you take on beer? Uh,
3: (laughs) In January, we... um... We had published some stories in other books regarding beer. Uh, we did the history of the Walkerville Brewery and the history of the British American Brewery. And these were written by a friend of ours, Bill Marantet. He was a local uh, historian and also known as a brewerianist category of collecting I never knew about, but brewerianists are passionate about beer. And Bill had a quite a remarkable collection in his basement of Windsor uh, beer. So he was a buddy of ours and we hung out with him. He was a real character. And his uh, daughter called me and said that Bill had died of COVID in January. And I was looking on my shelf and I had these five chapters that Bill had written on the history of beer in Windsor. And I looked at those five chapters and I said, well, you know, Bill was always bugging me to do a book and we never got around to it. Uh, let's do the book. So I grabbed those chapters and I looked at them. They were pretty skeletal, really, in terms of what you might do for a book. But it gave us a nice outline. They had already been, uh, I had digital copies of all the uh, articles. We didn't have to type them in. And Bill had given me a lot of his uh, archival material. So I called Mike Berkovich, who had purchased Bill's collection, and it resides at the Walkerville Brewery. So I went over and talked to Mike about it. He said, you can have access to anything I want. And then a couple other collectors reached out to me when they heard we were gonna do the book and offered up their collection to use. And we created this outline with the, the original six breweries of Windsor. And then we expanded it to include a chapter on Detroit because Detroit had a number of breweries and people in Windsor drank Detroit beer and people in Detroit drank Windsor beer. Again, back to that whole border thing that Elaine was talking about. And then we uh, said, well, everything kind of relates to Prohibition when it comes to alcohol. And three breweries were launched during Prohibition in this area, and these are big breweries. These are not microbreweries that we're used to now. These are big buildings with lots of capacity. And so we did a thing on Prohibition and um, the archives have become really accessible now, even during COVID, we were able to use through the Windsor Public Library, we were able to gain access to the Windsor Star Archives and the Border City Star Archives. And the uh, there was uh, several other papers uh, before that, and that's all digital now. And not only are they just digital, they're high resolution. So you can actually grab advertising and photos and you know, because we've been using computers so long, we're able to digitally edit the photos and make them look uh, pretty sharp. And this volume just kept growing, so we did this great chapter on Prohibition, where we updated a lot of the pieces that we had written in the past, we just didn't want to reproduce what we had, new photos, and then we thought, well, in a book that we had done, the previous book was called Windsor Before and After, where we looked at two photos of the same scene, so it wasn't necessarily then and now, it could be uh, 1900 and 1950 or 1940 and 1980, so we called it Before and After. And we had started a chapter called The Lost Bars of Windsor. So we thought, well, where are you going to go and drink beer? You're going to go to a bar. So we we put together this super list of bars that have disappeared from Windsor. We came up with more than 250 names. which so is just it tells you a lot about what you need to know about Windsor. And uh, a lot of photos. And so that was really kind of cool. We added a piece on the... Uh, current microbrewery situation, which was uh, fun to meet some of those owners. And um, we did something really unique uh, in that we started colorizing some of the black and white photos that we had. So we were able through technology to turn a black and white photo into as if it had been in color. So you could imagine what that time would look like. And that was a lot of fun. So we we kept innovating and kept pushing the uh, needle forward and uh, we ended up with this beautiful volume, a 160 page book on uh, beer, prohibition, and bars. <laughs> so that was sort of the, uh, the quick genesis of how we uh, developed brood in Windsor. And uh, from start to finish, we started the book in January, and we were pretty much done by July uh, because we had a lot of COVID time. <laughs> in the midst of right. the, uh, the pandemic. we were really not going anywhere, so you know. It didn't seem too bad to spend twelve hours working on a book when you're locked down. I think it might have taken longer, but it was just very focused. Uh, I, I should also add that in the midst of all of that, we were commissioned to do nine other books, so we did ten. We published ten books this year, and uh, in our spare time. But a lot of that is due to the fact that we we really understand the technology now. We know how to use it. We, we've got a process for publishing where we're always moving forward. We don't get stuck too often in the middle of, of the process and have to go backwards. So when we uh, work with an author on their book, we really push it forward so that uh, we can meet their deadlines without having to lose our minds over uh, you know working all night. We don't like doing things like that. So that, it was a very good year for us in that sense and uh, Bruden Winter is just one of uh, ten titles we produced this year, which is kind of crazy. I know.
1: <laughs> so prolific—that's amazing. Thank so, you. in all of this, taking on production must have been a huge learning curve. What did you learn from that process over the years? Is that for me? Either. I think that would be
2: better for you, Chris.
3: Um, one of the, a professor once told me that. Uh, the most important thing in life is never to stop learning. And that, that really stuck with me. So, I mean, if you were to embrace the, the beginnings of the uh, publishing uh, business, which we knew nothing about, by the way, I didn't go to school and study publishing. I knew nothing about publishing except how to use a photocopier. And I wasn't very good at that. So I, I said, how, how, how do you get learn? So it was just a matter at that time of embracing any option for learning. We didn't have a lot of peers that we could lean on. We didn't have accelerators, incubators, mentors, all of the things that you would mostly rely on today. I mean, I think businesses are so fortunate today, all the resources they have. We didn't have any, there was no internet. Uh, So you'd rely on magazines and books. (laughs) You know, you couldn't connect with anybody. There was no Twitter, there was no Facebook. So we just relied on that and we found this circle of people who were like us, we're trying to learn. And so we'd get together with these user groups, they used to be called, you know, the Mac user groups and uh, go to seminars uh, whenever they came to town or go to Toronto to learn. I worked in the publishing office at the University of Windsor for two years where they uh, set me on a number of courses so I could learn about publishing as well. And I started going to conferences and just trying to develop a network and never stop learning. I mean, you know, when you think about how Adobe wasn't, it was nowhere what they are today and Photoshop wasn't even around when we started. I mean, you know, I don't really date myself, but it was just continuous, continuous learning. But the nice part about publishing now is that we don't really have to learn anymore because it's a mature technology, the digital publishing. There's not a whole lot new. We don't do a lot, spend a lot of time in digital publishing in terms of the internet. We don't get involved with ebooks as a rule. We don't uh, uh, really do a whole lot of digital marketing. We probably should be better at it, but we think that's the young person's game now. I mean, you do hit a wall on how much you can actually take in learning. And the way the internet's moving with, you know, TikTok talk is this month's flavor, but what's next month's flavor. It's really hard to keep up. I think this is for for younger people too. They can take on the role of continuous learning and we can hire them now. (laughs) So that was our curve, so to speak. I always called it a, um, uh, it was like going on a roller coaster. You know, you got to go up, 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 trying to learn something. And then when you get to the the top, all of a sudden it gets easier for a while, but then uh, all of a sudden you gotta go back up, 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 up until you learn again. So it was just a, a series of roller coaster rides and speed bumps that helped us on our path to becoming uh, a digital publishing uh, professionals where we felt um, you know, the, the technology that we were able to be in charge of it and not it in charge of us.
2: <laughs> I think to that, you have to talk about finding printers that we can work with who um, are wow. best suited to the types of books that we tend to produce and yeah. uh, the quality of books, et cetera. A lot of, you know, sometimes we can't get books done because we're doing a hardcover colour book, et cetera. So Chris is really good at finding printers in Canada that can work with us. And um, that's made a big difference as well. And we can just upload, how, how does it work, Chris? Do we just upload yeah. to the cloud or something when it's time to
3: that's a good point. When we started doing books, uh, we, were, uh, we got pitched by a, a company in Hong Kong before Hong Kong was taken over by the Chinese. And uh, so we got pitched by them and we thought, well, you know, we could, the prices are, it's almost half price to have a book published in, in Hong Kong. And we're trying to get our books done. And you know, it's always about money. So we went over to Hong Kong and we checked out the supplier to make sure it wasn't like a slave operation, that they treated their workers well. We, they let us speak to all the workers. It was a well-run company. And that was going very well for a while. But then, you know, it was amazing how many times people gave us a hard time because our books had printed in China on it. That seemed to be the focus, even though it was probably the smallest type in the book. People were really <laughs> zoomed in the on hardest it. hardest to find. They're the hardest to find, you know, where it said printed in China. And we started thinking about it. We said, you know, not to get political, but I'm not a big fan of the Chinese regime. I mean, we've seen some of the, the bad things that they've done. I mean, I'm sure we all buy Chinese stuff. It's not like I'm uh, advocating boycotts or anything. I just didn't start feeling uncomfortable about it, even though. And then uh, we met a company in, uh, in uh, Manitoba, Friesens, who we love. We've developed a great relationship with them. They're, they're wonderful people. It's a family-run business. They have profit sharing. They do everything right. And we started working with them about uh, eight years ago. And uh, at, while that was going on, the on-demand trend happened, where all of a sudden now you could just get one copy of a book, or five or ten, and then Amazon happened, and Ingram Spark happened, and all of these companies started. You know, Lulu. Uh, when when a uh, family approached me this year to do a book on their family history, they only wanted thirty five. So we use Lulu, and the books are beautiful. They're like photo books, but we use the file at, to tell a story as well, not just photos. So all of this. Um, technology moving so fast in uh, on-demand publishing oh my god and uh, we use amazon sometimes just to do a proof of a book because you can get a book one copy and there's nothing better than having your book in your hand as opposed to having a thousand that you printed and catch that typo or catch that layout that you don't like so now you get a book as a proof for 20 bucks it's it's incredible so we've kind of navigated the whole digital publishing you know 10 years ago, we were on the forefront. It's already mature how many options you have. And uh, we've managed to figure all that out just through hard work. And plus we're really cheap, you know, we're tight. We don't like to waste money on stuff. So we make sure when we do something that it's gonna be the best value. It's not always the cheapest to to print in Canada, but we're always happy with our partner. And as fate would have it, if we would have been publishing our books in China, our books would probably be sitting offshore somewhere right now. <laughs> yes. We wouldn't have them for Christmas.
2: That was yeah. always a worry, thinking about our books out in the middle of the ocean somewhere, you know. And it would take a long time to, to have them shipped across yeah. the ocean. By the time, and of course, getting from Vancouver to Windsor was also uh, a long wait and a bit of a worry. So. Yeah, it was, it was always a, a worry. Much that, better this way. Well.
3: I'm not sure if you're aware, but this year has been especially challenging in book publishing in terms of deadlines. Uh, when we started dealing with uh, freezes in January, they were 90 days out. It's normally 30 days. And by October, they were booking into May. So if you wanted a book, which normally you could book in October and get your, your, uh, your order for Christmas, if you booked in October, you were getting your books in April. So the industry has had an enormous amount of challenges this year, mainly because publishers were finding they couldn't get their books done offshore. So it created a big backlog of uh, books. So,
2: and then all the people writing books during COVID. <laughs> incredible. People finally got to do the book they, they had always dreamed about. So, cause they had time, they were at home, et cetera. So very fascinating. Yeah. So, so
3: just to, to, to conclude, we're a bit of a funny company in that we're a hybrid that we write our stuff, but we also publish our stuff. So we're, we're, we're a bit of a hybrid. And uh, we, we moved away from uh, um, you know the model that said that you had to give an author in advance in the hopes that you would t- take on all of it. And we only deal with authors who want to self-publish. So authors hire us. So we're a for hire company. They come to us with their ideas and they realize that they're never going to get their book published unless they do it themselves. Because the is again with the way um, the book bit industry is now, it's, it's very difficult to get your book published. I'm sure everybody uh, is aware and the, the audience is aware how difficult it is. And some people just feel like this is something I need to do. And these are the people we love to work with who are doing it for the right reason, because it's something they really want to do. Not that they're going on Oprah. As soon as we hear that, we usually uh, wrap the conversation up pretty quick. My book is the best book ever written and Oprah is going to be calling me and everybody says it's the greatest book ever. We're like, okay, I'm running away from this. We're interested in people are doing them for the right reasons. And uh, we can usually tell within, you know, five minutes. That's that's usually the question we ask them, why are you doing this book? And the answer usually tells us whether or not we're going to be able to work with them.
0: Elaine, you also write novels. What is it about writing fiction that is a little bit different for you or that draws you as opposed to writing um, a more informational kind of a book?
2: Hmm. I guess it's because I really like to think about what if scenarios. So, I think writing basically encapsulates an author's idea, a spark that they have of, oh, what if this happened or that happened and I developed a character that could create something else to happen? And it's almost like being a baker (laughs) or or an artist, because you get that spark of ideas, that imagination starting to um, percolate. And... Whereas with a nonfiction book, you have the creative process, but it's more of figuring out how to um, interpret, interpret um, history in an interesting way, in a colorful way or a readable way, etc. cetera. So, um, so I like that very much, but I also like the thought of creating something from nothing. And I, when I got the idea to do my time travel novel, I just had thought about what if, uh, what if this guy came forward in time who owns slaves and he came, he, he, you know, from a long time ago in deep South. What if, cause I, and I got the idea from watching a basketball game of all things, an NBA game. So I just thought, you know, that would be really interesting. And I thought, well, somebody should write that. And then I thought maybe that, maybe that person could be me. So I hadn't written, anything beyond a short story by that point. And it was, um, we were starting to do our, we we like to travel in the winter time and avoid Canada's cold winters. And so that coincided with our very first, we call them vanishing acts where we, you know, we vanish from here, we reappear somewhere else and then we come back. And um, that gave me time to work, start working on fleshing out This idea that I had to see what would happen. I remember when I wrote 22 pages, I was so excited. Woohoo, 22 pages that came out of nowhere. So then it just kept going from there. So that was so it's a really fun and different process, aggravating, of course, too, because you're trying to think, okay, what am I going to do next? And but with that first novel, the um, it was easier for me in some ways because I could incorporate history, I could research. Well, I would think. I thought, okay, what was going on in 1837 in Memphis? And then I was able to include that and wrap that into the, the type of um, environment that that my my main uh, character was living in, and especially in his um, circles where he was a very well-to-do um, plantation owner. And you know, I wanted to know, yeah. So I just it was just really really fun. Whereas the sequel to that is more coming out of just fantasy and trying to figure out how am I going to, what am I going to do? Because my people were wondering, well, where does he go? He go at the end of the first book. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, where does he go? I kind of had an idea, but I thought, okay, well, maybe I can go further with this. and But this one's harder. Plus, we haven't been able to go away. We've been doing all these other books, etc. So haven't had a chance to really sit down and and focus on it. And, and, um, you know, I just don't feel like it because we do so many other books and I'd rather do different things in my, in my off time than sit down at the computer again. So, so it's been a bit more of a challenge. So I've written about 140 pages, but I've left it since the beginning of this year. haven't touched it at all, but I think about it. So does that answer your question?
0: (laughs) Good. Very well. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. What projects are you working on now? Have you been more well? You you have been really productive during this lockdown. So, uh, what's exciting you about what's coming up next?
3: We're taking we're we're into into, uh, the third moment at the moment, which is marketing and selling. Uh, It's Christmas, and um, we have we don't really have any projects on at the moment. Um, We. spend a lot of our energy in December, November, December, selling. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been a lot of activity on our website and a lot of orders. And uh, we don't have the advantage this time of having a, we're uncomfortable about having a formal book launch for our latest book. We want to have it at the brewery, but they're uncomfortable about having crowds and everybody's still a bit nervous and the, the news gets worse. It doesn't get better. And so we decided to have a, a, a book launch at an event, uh, which is going to be post this interview. And uh, we just tied mm-hmm. to another event so that we didn't have to do all the organizing. It just seems to be a bit much right now. So that's, that's a bit of a challenge for us. And um, we are actually um, at a point in our career where we are thinking of just backing off of publishing. Now um, we are, We've done a lot of, we, we just did the math on it. We've done nine books ourselves. We've uh, Elaine's done her novel, which I worked on with her to publish it. And we have partnered with 17 other uh, people to do local history books. So that's a total of 26 books on local history, not just specifically on local history. So that's a lot of books. That's a nice uh, legacy, a pretty good archive. And we're just, you know, like everybody, we're not sure the next step. Where should we go from here? We have thought, uh, pondered the idea of going into video production, uh, doing videos uh, that would be fun. We had a book project that we were uh, halfway through, uh, the history of the Detroit River, and all the stories that come out of that. That's a was a, going to be again another massive undertaking. And then with COVID, we were unable to go to Detroit to do the research. So we backed off of that one. And we're not sure if we're going to take that one back on again. So I would say right now it's transition. Let's see what the universe offers up. And uh, we'll, you know, we're getting to that funny age, you know, where a lot of our friends are all retired and we're not. So <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> looking forward to whatever chapter comes next and and all the best with the, the sales of your latest book for sure well, thank
3: you so much
2: that's yeah. nice. you don't have to like beer to love this book that's my slogan for
1: this book so but it helps <laughs> <laughs> and how does one get a copy of this book
3: okay. on our, our website at walkerville.com yeah. sort of mastered this whole buying online stuff that you have to deal with as well that, that was a, a real interesting challenge at the beginning as well as how do you sell books online? But it really now it's pretty fluid. They can, they can go online. That's a good pun too. It's fluid. You can uh, purchase online or we also sell them out of our home-based business in uh, Walkerville.
2: Yeah, we have an actual publishing house in Walkerville where we live and work and we have our book and the brood in Windsor being the latest, latest ones. So, and also they're available at retail locations throughout Windsor. And uh, I think in Amherstburg uh, order the book and come here and pick it up or just give us a call. And then we can arrange a time for them to come and browse in our little, we have kind of like a little bookstore set up in our front hall. So it's all good.
0: Well, Elaine Weeks and Chris Edwards, thank you so much for your time and, and telling us all about your endeavors. Well, well thank you so grabs. much
2: for having us. Carry on with this great work. We have so many talented authors, in the city and I have a group too called Write On Windsor that is on Facebook as well and I created it to help local authors connect and help each other and there are people who are published that help others who are trying to get published, et cetera. So Write On Windsor, um, it's kind of been dormant during COVID but uh, it's there for anybody who wants to check it out on Facebook.
1: Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts, or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.